thinking about the Godhead, one of the things that's really struck me is how casual we get in interpreting the Word of God. And I'll come to that in a moment. But in the New Testament, there are three instances where it speaks about the Godhead. In the book of Acts, the book of Romans, and the book of Colossians. Now, we are very familiar, and we all do it, I'm guilty myself, we always talk about the Godhead as a trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And of course, the Godhead is seen and it's been manifested, especially at the time when Jesus is getting baptised in the river Jordan, because the Father speaks from heaven, and the Holy Spirit, like a dove, comes down and descends upon the Lord. But the Bible talking about the Godhead says God is a mystery. The Father is a mystery and Christ is a mystery. And so there are things there which we do not comprehend, although the book of Romans says we can understand things by what we see. And so as we were, I was thinking about this and looking at this, the Godhead, the importance of the definition that the Bible gives to the Father, to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. And see, there is a uniqueness about the Godhead. Because in the Godhead, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ was the Word. And they said, And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld His glory, the only begotten of the Father. And so there is this ability of the Godhead to separate into the manifestation of their individual characters, but yet come together in unity and in one. And this is something which is, we don't necessarily grasp everything, because the Bible says that God's a spirit. We are flesh, but God's a spirit. But in our lives, we are made up of a body and a soul and a spirit. And we, when we have these encounters with God and we're serving the Lord, it's because our spirit has become alive and brought into alignment so that our spirit communes with God's spirit. In the book of Ephesians 4, 6, it says, One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And so we have the Godhead. And I was thinking about this, and as I was thinking about it, I remembered something that happened many, many years ago. And I want to use this as an illustration today. Many, many years ago, I don't know, 30, maybe even 40 years ago, I was in the Glasgow Cathedral. And we were getting a tour in Glasgow Cathedral. And when we were in this, getting this tour, the guide took us to this Bible. He said, it is one of the Bibles from the Reformation. He says, it's the authorised version. He said, but I don't understand it nowadays because they don't call it that. And because we have this habit of trying to group things together. So when we become to Bibles, you would have the KGV, the NIV, ESB. And so you group them all together. And so basically the theologians or the publishers are basically saying, you can take anyone because they're all similar. And so when it comes to the Godhead, when, when, when you look at what happens in the scriptures, the Bible says Jesus is the vine. 
but Satan is the vile of the earth. You know, so you always get the distinction between Jesus and what Satan tries to imitate. But when you take the Godhead and you call the Godhead a trinity, then you're coming down to a different level. You're coming down to a level because one day the Bible tells us that Satan's going to appear and he's going to appear as a trinity. The false prophet, the beast, the antichrist. And so when you break it down, you're basically saying, it's similar, it's the same, there's not much difference. And of course what that's going to do is going to capture multitudes of people and lead them into an undone eternity. Because when you come to the Godhead, it is not compared to what Satan's going to bring. Because the Godhead is eternal, from everlasting to everlasting. The Godhead is the one who brought all things into being. The Godhead is the one who gives us the breath of life, creation. Everything comes from the Godhead. But when we come to Satan, he is a creature. And he has his set field in the lake of fire and brimstone. And so when we bring these things down to a comparison, we actually do a disfavour to other people. Because the Godhead is high and lifted up. And there's something you should know about the Godhead. In 1 Corinthians 15, 28, And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So what the scripture is saying here is, when God puts down all rebellion, when God puts down all the wickedness, when God eventually carries out his sentence against Satan and casts him into the lake of brimstone and fire, when all of these things are done, when God creates a new heaven and a new earth, then Christ will go back into the Godhead and the Godhead will be all in all. And see, that Godhead is the one who reveals himself through Jesus. Because I said, Jesus is the Word. And the Word was what Jesus' title was in the Godhead. But he took on flesh and became flesh. And he dwelt amongst us. Now in the scriptures, as I said, there are three instances where we have the Godhead mentioned. Acts 17 and verse 29. And it says here, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. Here we have this we have Paul, the Apostle Paul, and he's in Athens. And what you discover when Paul's in Athens is that his spirit was stirred in him. His spirit was stirred in him when he looked around and saw the condition of Athens. Now Athens, the background to Athens is 400 years earlier, Greece was at the pinnacle of their power. The empire of Greece 
And now, 400 years later, they're under the rule of the Romans. And it was estimated that in Athens, when Paul came, there were 30,000 idols. One of the writers said, it was easier to find a god than to find a person. 30,000 idols. Some of these idols that were worshipped to God like Zeus. Major names you would have heard of. But they felt also gods to things like shame. And so when you think of the Apostle Paul, who when he stands up and he says, I see that you have an idol to the unknown God. So Paul must have really been looking around the place in order within these 30,000 idols to come across this one idol. The one that was dedicated to the unknown God. And of course Paul, in his preaching, starts to preach to the people about this unknown God. And here, in the cradle of Western civilization, we read about Paul being stood up because the city was wholly given to idolatry. So this is where all our Western civilization comes, from a city wholly given to idolatry. A city who liked philosophy. And of course, Paul came against the philosophers. Athens was a place of Socrates, of Plato, Aristotle, and even today they still read all their works. The Epicureans were there, and they were atheistic materialists. And they are speaking to Paul. Now the Apostle Paul came from Tarsus. He was a Roman. He was very well educated. And he could deal with these people. And the Epicureans, one thing about them, they were so similar to the Sadducees. Because they never believed in life after death. They never believed in supernatural things. They never believed in angels. They were so in line with the Sadducees. But they were, they were practically hedonists because the, the Bible, when it talks about uh, was it Solomon, it said, eat, drink, and be merry, but tomorrow you die. And that was a bit like the Epicureans. That was a lifestyle into all of these things. Then, of course, they had not only the Epicureans, but they had the Stoics. And they were basically pantheists. God is everywhere. He's in the trees. He's in creation. The ultimate resignation, they were very fatalistic. And if you would go to and look what it says today about them, it says Stoicism is a tool in the pursuit of self-mastery, perseverance, wisdom, etc., etc. Now the Epicureans would appeal to the Greek minds and probably the Stoics appear, appeal to the, the Roman minds. And they came across Paul. And their reaction to Paul was, Paul, you're a babbler. You're a babbler. You talk about strange gods. You talk about a resurrection. And they said, you're crazy, Paul. You're crazy. But you see, all their philosophies, their philosophies couldn't tell you what happens when you die. Their philosophies couldn't tell you how you get forgiveness of sins. Their philosophies never dealt with that which is eternal. In the book of Acts, in 17 verse 20, 
He said, but I will bring a certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. So here we have these philosophers who have got lots of spare time in their hand. And you discover that when people have lots of spare time in their hand, that's a bad thing. Because all they are doing, they want to listen to something new. Something new, something that will tickle the ears, we want to listen to something new. We want to hear what you have to say. And they spend their time doing that. And Paul addresses this audience and starts by saying, I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious. I perceive that in all things, all your philosophies, all your gods, all your religions, everything that you touch, I perceive you are all too superstitious. And then he goes on to say, let me tell you about the God who you don't know. And he said in verse 24, that God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made of hands, neither is worship of men's hands, though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And so Paul starts to expound to them the God of creation, the God who brought everything into being, the God who maintains everything by his breath. He says, this God doesn't need you to make an idol of him. He is the creator of all things. He is the one who gives you your breath to live. He gives life and breath and all things. And so one of the commentators said, when you don't recognize God as creator, then you're never going to recognize the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul, as he continues, starts to expound what God has done. He said, and in creation, when God has created everybody, he said he's given everybody one blood. So the blood of Adam is in everybody. It's the one blood. And he said, God set bounds for the nations. And so that's why he comes, then he comes on to, so we ought not to think that the Godhead is like gold or silver or stone given by art or men's devices. And then he goes on and he says this to them, because he have appointed a day in the which we both judge the world in righteousness by that man, talking about Jesus Christ, whom he hath ordained, wherefore he hath given him assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. And as soon as Paul comes to creation and to God, and the resurrection of the dead and judgment, he said, we don't want to hear any more, Paul. We'll listen to you some other time. Because people don't want to hear about what lies before them. But the Bible makes it plain that Jesus, when he became flesh and dwelt amongst us, when he was born by the Virgin Mary, he carries the DNA of God and not the DNA of Adam. He carried the blood of God and not the blood of Adam. And that's why the Bible said when Jesus, he said when you're, he talks about Jesus, he was the image of the living God because the life of God was in him. And so when Jesus 
that's going to Calvary. Before he goes to Calvary, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, there is revelation of the sin that's going to be born on the cross. And that's why the Bible says when Jesus died, it didn't say it was a death. It's actually plural when it says it's death that he dies because of all of sin and wickedness and iniquity of all of mankind gets laid upon him. And so in the garden he sweats great drops of blood because God unveiled what he's going to go through. And then he says, well, you still go. And so Jesus going to Calvary takes sin upon him. But the Bible tells us death could not hold him. And then the third day he rose from the dead. And so Paul said to these people, this God I'm telling you about, you're going to stand before him. You're going to stand before him and he's going to judge you. There is a judgment to come and you will stand before this living God. And so that was the story and that was a message preached by Paul to those people at Athens. And then we get the scripture from Romans. And Paul, just before we come on that scripture, states, The gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Then he goes on to say, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. So Paul, when he writes to Romans, he tells them that Christ is the power of God to salvation. And that which can be known about God has already been revealed to you. For the invisible signs of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So they are without excuse. So the Bible tells us everybody is without excuse because the Godhead has been revealed. And it's been revealed in many different ways. We are created, Adam was created in the likeness of God. With a body, with a spirit and a soul. In the book of Malachi, it talks about the son of righteousness. And it's spelled S-U-N. The son of righteousness. And what do you get from the sun? You get light from the sun. And Jesus is the light. From the sun you get heat, which you don't see, but you feel it. And when the presence of God comes, the Holy Spirit moves, you have these encounters and you feel the presence of God. And then from the sun you get actinic rays. You don't see it, you don't feel them, but they still come. The Father is there. But we see Jesus, we experience the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible here, it starts to talk about people. When they knew God, they didn't worship him as God. The Bible tells us his heavens speak of the glory of God. They speak, they show knowledge every night. Every day, there's no speech or language where the voice is not heard. And all creation declares there is a creator. And then this chapter contains they didn't want to know God in the heart. When they knew him, they cast him aside. And so God goes on to tell you, this is what happens when you don't want to know God. When you do not want to know God, then what you're doing is you're taking the second commandment. And you're displacing the first commandment and you're putting the second commandment first. And you say, we worship the, create, the creature. We worship the creature that you've made. God, you take a back seat. We worship the creature. And know what the Bible tells when you start to do that? 
Romans 1.24 God gave them up. If God gave them up to dishonor their bodies. Verse 26 God gave them over. He gives up the soul to vile affections. In verse 28 God gave them over. He gives up your spirit when he gave them over to a reprobate mind. And so when you don't want to know about God, then you're going into this track where when you knew him, you refused to worship him. And so the Bible says God gives you over to what you want. God says, this is what you want, have it in abundance. And so God gives people over. And Jeremiah said, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts. And so the Godhead can't be made of gold or silver, but the Godhead can be treated in such a way as to displace God's rightful place of worship. For you will love the Lord thy God with all your heart and soul, mind and strength. And once you displace him and you make the creature to be preeminent, God says, I'll hand you over. And corruption comes in. And if you went further down through that chapter, it tells you people become vile. They become dirty. They become corrupt. Because they take the God who is incorruptible and they corrupt themselves, be cast on him aside. And then we come to Colossians 2 9, where it says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Christ was the fullness of the Godhead. And we just read the verse before it says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And so in Colossians, Paul takes us back to the philosophers. He takes you back to all these people with all their different philosophies, the rudiments of the world, the rudiments of the world are the basic things, whether you learn a piano, the notes, or painting, all the different colors, the rudiments of all the basic things you take together to do particular tasks and learn things. But he says here, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Because philosophy does not get you into the kingdom of God. Philosophy takes you in different directions. But he goes on to say, because he said much earlier in this chapter, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom I had all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ is held the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ you will find everything that you need to know that is going to give you life, it's going to give you the ability to do things which are not commonly known, but he gives you wisdom, he gives you treasures. And so you move in a realm where you know that you're living, you know the path you're on, you know where you're going to end up in eternity. You know the presence of God. You know He is with you, never to leave you, nor forsake you. And when we think of this verse of Scripture, I don't know if you have ever came across, but during the 19th century, many of the, the sons and daughters of the ministers from the man's 
Instead of going into the ministry, they actually went into business. They actually went into developing and discovering new things. And that's one of the reasons why the nation got this reputation that per, per the number of people, they discovered more things than any other country. Because there was such a presence of God, and the blessing of God went on to the sons and the daughters who went into business, who, did, who went into discovering things, and they blessed the nation. And so in Christ, there is a fullness of wisdom and knowledge. And so as we start off and as we just recap, the Godhead is eternal. The Godhead is able to manifest itself in different aspects. But when it comes into eternity, the Bible says that Christ is going back into the Godhead and God is going to become all in all. And he is going to reign supreme. And all his enemies are going to be cast aside. All philosophies are going to be cast aside. All the worship of idols is going to be done away with. And God is all in all. And so we come. And today as we come, you look at the nations, you look around you, and what do you see? You see the reflection of Romans chapter 1, where they said, we don't want you, God. We don't want you. Get away from us. And God says, let me give you what you want. And so we see the wickedness, we see the corruption, we see it all around us. And the end of that road is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The Godhead is high and exalted and lifted up. The Godhead is the one who has brought all creation into being. The Godhead is the one who sustains everything. Even this earth. It's the Godhead who sustains everything and keeps everything. And this earth is not going to remain the way it is. Because the Bible says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. He is a God of creation, but he has come to be the God of your salvation. He has come and he has paid the penalty for sin and unrighteousness so that you can know him and have eternal life. He is a God who is a God of love. Because when Satan is manifested in the days to come with his trinity, what will come with it is destruction and death and chaos. And the Bible said there will never, there's never ever been days like these days. And there never will be after that. But see, when Jesus comes, he comes to give life. He comes to impart unto you eternal life. He comes to you to forgive you of your sins and your iniquities. The Godhead is great and high and lifted up. And nothing can be compared to the Godhead. And so when we take it down to the level of our trinity, we make it too easy for Satan to say, but I have my trinity, we confuse the minds of people. Because they're not the same. The Godhead is high and lifted up. And the Godhead is the one who gives you your life today. Yeah. So as we come to a close this morning, if you've been following vain traditions, or if you've been following philosophies and been caught in all of these things, let me tell you, none of that tells you and helps you for when you come to stand before the Lord. 
Because the Bible said everyone will stand before him. There is no exception. But one of the great things today that we proclaim is there's salvation in the name of Jesus. There is deliverance in the name of Jesus. And God has come that you might have eternal life. He has come that you might have sins forgiven. He has come that you might be born again by his spirit. Because he loves you. And so this morning, just as we come to a close, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you don't know the Savior of the world, if you've never experienced being born again, having sins forgiven, today is the day to respond to Jesus. Because he says, come, 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 come. Because he is the one who wants to give you life more abundantly, wants to reveal himself to you, wants to, you to have God encounters, wants you to experience his presence, wants you to know that he loves you. And so let's just bow our head. Father, in the name of Jesus, we lift our eyes to the Godhead this morning. For there is nothing and no one to compare with the Godhead. There is no God, there is no idol, there is no philosophy, there is nothing of man that can be compared to him. And Father, as we come this morning, we get the appeal that there is salvation in Jesus' name and there is forgiveness of sins. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, just going to ask you to put up your hand to respond to the gospel because God offers eternal life. He offers a new life. He offers you to be in his presence and to know him. But Jesus is the turn of God to salvation. And the Holy Spirit will come and indwell you when we respond to the gospel. When we respond to Jesus, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit comes in and we are born by the Spirit of God. Our spirit becomes alive because God's Spirit comes us so that we might have a relationship with our God. Call